Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we exist so that way you can experience God. If you like this content, would you consider subscribing and joining our online community? That way you can get notified on each week's messages. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Are you ready for part two of Ghostbusters? Yeah, how cool was that? That literally around the country, literally around the globe, we can actually hear from Pastor Bren and the great work that's happening over there. Is that not amazing? I love it. I love it so much. Well, hey, good morning. If we have not had the privilege of an introduction, my name is Tina. I have the honor of serving as the community pastor here at Arise. I'm also the director of our coaching and counseling center, and we are going to continue experiencing God today. But before we get head deep into the message, we want to celebrate as is our custom. Now, everybody in this room, unless you have been living under a rock, knows that in 2020, the world shut down. And it's taken a while for some things coming out of the pandemic to start back up. Well, one of the areas that was shut down locally, actually in our community, was the gift shop at Brandon Regional Hospital. Now, that doesn't affect most of us very very deeply, right, unless you know somebody who's there in the hospital, but if you're visiting someone there, you have a friend or a family member, you might want to stop by and pick them up flowers or something of that nature. Well, it's been shut down for two years, but several months ago, the Angel Foundation, who is a legacy partner um, with Arise, was given the opportunity to relaunch it and to get back, get it back up. And so Arise was able to financially contribute to it, to be a part of stocking it and filling it up. But the cool blessing that we're seeing out of it is that there are a number of Arise volunteers that are actually working at the foundation. Whenever they meet someone, not only are they praying, because we know that pain or problems equals prayer, right? If you're new around here, that's something not that just we say, but it's something that we do. But what's happening is that they're picking up the phone and they're calling us and they're saying, hey, there's a family here who needs ministry. Can you come in and minister to them? And while we are already on the pastoral care team at the hospital and we get calls from the nursing staff, we're now getting calls from the gift shop to come and bring the gospel to families. How cool is that? I think it's so cool that when someone comes in for a candy bar, they end up getting Jesus, right? I just think that's worthy of celebrating. Now, we have a great team, Lisa sitting right here on the front row, who often goes into the hospital to minister when that call comes in. But when I go in, I've just got to be honest with you. Um, The hospital is under construction at the moment. It has been taken over by HCA Hospital. And there are times as I'm navigating the construction that is in the parking lot that I've got to ask Jesus, Jesus, how badly do these people need? you because I want to turn around and go home, right? Chaos like feels like it's in the parking lot. And the same is true when you actually get inside the building because what used to be this way is now this way. And so I've had to set up kind of little landmarks for myself so that I know which way I'm going. Now I want you to know, you'll be very proud of me, I have stopped short of writing little notes on the wall that like, you know, only I can see. But I have set up Landmarks. If I radiology is on my right, the ER is on my left. There's little landmarks. Landmarks teach us things. In scripture, we see that oftentimes there were many people who would set up altars, right? So that it would be a landmark so that they could remember this is what happened here. Well, in the same way of a landmark, history has a way of teaching us things, doesn't it? It has a way of, of equipping us to understand the past so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. And it also gives us clarity so we don't have to walk about in confusion. I have literally put in 10,000 steps at that hospital and ended up in a janitor's closet. We don't want to do that in life. We don't want to do that in life. And so the reality is, is that we have to learn from history because it has something to teach us. Take, for example, are you ready for this? Bell-bottom jeans. Seriously, bell-bottom jeans. Some of you, come on, girls, you like your bell-bottom jeans, right? They work for you. Well, here's the crazy thing. Do you know that if you are going on a ship, they actually recommend that you wear bell-bottom jeans? True story, the United States Navy is actually the fashion designer of bell-bottom jeans because when somebody fell overboard, the extra material made it easy to grab them and pull them up out of the water. True story. That's where the fashion trend actually started. But take a look at this fashion trend. 
history teach us something about this as well. Now, if you live long enough on planet Earth, you live through this. And this look was initially created for dancers. History tells us it should have stayed that way, right? Let's not bring that particular one back. History also tells us that if you look good, but you cannot sing, you should go into modeling and don't pretend to be a pop star. Just ask Millie Vanilli. And if you are young enough that you have no idea who that is, find somebody over 40 and ask them, and they will answer and tell you who they are. History has the ability to teach us things. And this morning, as we continue our Ghostbuster series, we're gonna go back in time, and we're gonna listen in to a conversation that Jesus had with the religious leaders of that day in hopes of learning something that we can apply to our lives today. It was a conversation that was intended to reveal to them what was going on in their very soul. And as you're about to see, it's as relevant this morning as it was on the very day that he was talking to them. So if you're ready and you have a Bible in hand, open it up and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and as you're turning there, for those of you who may be new with us this morning, we are in a series that we are calling Ghostbusters. This is part two of a three-part series. Pastor Brent did an amazing job of bringing last week's message, did he not? Such a good word, such a good word. Today, we are taking that a, a bit further. This message is loosely, and I say loosely, based upon the hit blockbuster, 1984 blockbuster, Ghostbusters. And in case you were not here last week or you're too young to even know what we're talking about, here's a little bit of a refresher. Here's Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Something strange in your neighborhood. Who are you gonna call? me. I ain't, afraid of no I ain't afraid of no ghost. That is my favorite line. And that really is the heart of this message. The reality is, is that as Pastor Brent sent the set the stage on last week, we want you to know that there is a demonic realm. There is a spirit of darkness, but you and I don't have to live afraid of it. We don't have to walk around. We get to walk around and say, there you go, exactly. The reality is, is that there is a very real enemy out there. And many of you know that because you've battled Satan. You've battled Satan, you've battled his demons. Some of you this morning might be in a battle. You might be in an actual battle going on right now. And, and if you have, or if you are, you know that, that he doesn't play fair. You know that his tricks are not treats. But what you may not know is that your freedom is something that you will have to fight for every single day until you take your very last breath. You don't have to be afraid, but you do have to suit up and you do have to get in the fight. You see, in the same way that I get up every single morning and I say, Jesus, you are my savior. I surrender my life to you. For me, that's not a one and done. It's an every single day decision to follow him. It's also an every single day to suit up and get in the fight because I'm not just fighting for me, I'm fighting for you. And you're not just fighting for you, you're fighting for your marriage, you're fighting for your children, and you're fighting for your future grandchildren, you're fighting for your community, you're fighting for your nation, you're fighting for your right to live in freedom. Jesus, Jesus wants us to know that our spiritual condition can be impacted by what's going on in the demonic. And so as we look to Matthew chapter 12, we get to listen in to a conversation where Jesus is teaching us, so to speak, how to fight the good fight. We begin in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, and it says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest, and it does not find it. 
And then it says, I will return to the house I left, and when it arrives, it will find the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes, and it takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the final outcome of that person is worse than the first. Then he says these really powerful words. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now let me give you just a little bit of context here because Jesus, as I said, is, is talking to the religious leaders of the day. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've spent any time in his word, you know that Jesus likes to communicate in metaphors. He likes to communicate in parables. And here he's using the metaphor of a house to communicate to them the spiritual condition of that generation. It's a generation that he calls wicked. It's, it's a generation that just a few, sorry, my watch is talking to me. That's enough out of you, right? <laughs> it's a generation that he called evil and adulterous. Strong words if you think about it. I might even go so far as to say that Jesus was calling that generation a haunted house. And if we're listening in on the conversation, it might be tempted to go, whew, so glad he's talking to them and he is not talking to us. But let's not get too comfortable here because I want you to remember that history has a way of repeating itself. If we don't learn the lessons that he's trying to teach us in his word. And the first lesson that we learn, if you're taking notes this morning, is this. Your soul is a house. Your soul is a house. You see, when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, according to Ephesians 3.17, the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells in our house. Think of yourself as a house. He comes and he dwells in your house. This word dwell literally means to reside, to inhabit, to govern. If, if you're new to Christianity, that's one of the reasons why when we come to Jesus, we say that Jesus is now the Lord of our life. He isn't just our Savior. He is the Lord of our life. Because in essence, when we surrender our lives to him, he becomes our landlord. We are the land, he is the Lord. And the property of our soul that we once used for our purposes, for our pleasures, for our pursuits, is now available to him, fully available to him, for his glory and our good. And that's the goodness of God, is that it isn't just for his glory. It's also for our good. And he, being a good father, when he moves in, he does what any good homeowner does when they move into the house. He begins to clean house. Right? He moves in, and, and over time, little by little by little, Jesus begins to clean up our life. He begins to tap on those impure spirits, those patterns of behavior, those thoughts that aren't serving us well, those open doors to the demonic realm. And what I think is so amazing about God is that when we invite him into our life, we don't have to be cleaned up to send him an invitation. We just have to open the door and say, come on in. I have a girlfriend that when she comes over, it is literally just her thing to go organize my pantry, to, to go to my linen closet and begin to organize things. It's simply her way. I never, ever, ever clean up before she gets there. But there are other people, if you want to come to my house, I want you to know this. If you want to see me, you are welcome anytime. But if you want to see a clean house, make an appointment. <laughs> Thank God I didn't have to make an appointment with Jesus. There was an appointed date for him to say to me, Tina, I'm right here. Can I come in? And there's an appointed date for you as well. He does the cleaning. And according to verse 43, he begins to kick out impure spirits. Spirits that were living in our house before he got there. He takes up residence in our spirit and through the soul realm, through the flesh realm, begins to say, hey, you, lust, you're not welcome here anymore. 
He begins to say, hey, addiction, you don't have any power here anymore. Hey, pride, I see you. You're not welcome here anymore. And he begins to serve eviction to the spirits that were living in our life. Those impure spirits, I, I just have to stop and ask, do you remember who was living in your house before Jesus moved in? I do. I remember the spirits that were living inside of my house. Do you remember how you used to think? how you used to speak, how you used to live before Jesus moved in. I feel like right now we almost just need to stop and do a praise break. I feel like I need an organ. I need Pastor Johnny's, like his thing on his phone that he does in staff meeting. He plays this thing on his phone and it's cool. Pastor Johnny, can you do it? Give me two seconds, I got you. Come on, come on, wait, can we just wait for Pastor Johnny because this is worthy. praise break that Jesus deserves for all that he has delivered you through in your life. Say that again. Come on, come on. There you go. See, here's the thing. I remember who I used to be. But if I'm getting really real with you, I also remember the times that over the years I welcomed back to a few familiar spirits. When I opened my life back up, because in my ignorance, I thought, well, as long as I'm going to church, I'm good, right? Like, I'm, I'm in church, so, so I must be good. And I, I didn't know in the early years that the soul of my house needed guarding. And that's point number two if you're taking notes this morning. The soul of your house, your house needs guarded. Your house needs guarded. And that's what we learn in verse 43 and 44. If you recall, Jesus said, when an impure spirit comes out of the person, it goes through arid places. And and when it can't find rest, it says, I'm going to return to the house I left. I'm going to go back to it. And and it's going to go back, and it's looking, and it's unoccupied, and it's swept clean because you've been coming to church. And Lord only knows you got your mask on, as Erica was talking about earlier. So you're clean, right? And as disturbing as this passage is, as I dug deeper in study and preparation for this message, I I found something that for me was even more disturbing. You see, this passage that I'm reading you from is from the NIV translation, and it's a great translation. It's one of my favorites. It's one of the ones I read from. But when I'm studying, I get out my King James Version, and I go a little deeper because I want to see what the original language actually says. And I, I saw this tiny yet powerful verbiage shift that just rocked me as I was studying it. Take a look and, and see if you can find it too. Same passage in the King James Version. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from where I came out. Now I hope you see what I'm seeing. It's not all the s, the walketh, the findeth that are tripping me up here. It's that word, my house. Not the house, but my house. And I know this is hard to wrap your mind around, but your soul, your house, your temple, before you began a life with Christ, if you have begun a life with Christ, It didn't just belong to you. It belonged to the enemy of your soul. You might have seen yourself as moral, good, even kind. But scripture says, according to Ephesians 2.1, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, meaning you, you were dead to the things of God. And you were very alert and aware to the things of the enemy. And that's exactly what Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees once again, the religious leaders again, about in John chapter 18. Again, he was trying to talk to them about their spiritual condition. I don't know why this is a word this morning for this particular service, but it started in worship and it's continuing from from then until right now. You can come to church seven days a week. That doesn't make you filled with the very presence of God. 
I can sit in my car seven days a week and twice on Sunday. That doesn't make me a car. God is speaking to somebody today. He was speaking to the religious leaders of that day. And they were arguing with him. And and they told Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus replied, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did no such thing. You are doing the works of your own father. Who is he telling them was their father? He's telling them they were the, they are children of Satan. And they argued back as we would expect them to do. And they said to him, we are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. They were standing there looking at God in the face and couldn't recognize him. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. My father sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Ay, yeah, yeah. Does anybody else want to curl up your toes right now? These passages describe our spiritual condition before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It tells us that our house was once subject to the spirit of darkness and those demons that got kicked to the curb over time in your life are always watching. They are always looking for the opportunity to come back into your life. They are patient and in many ways they are playing the long game in your life. They're looking for a way back into your life because even though they didn't build your house or buy your house, they still think they own your house. And that's why scripture tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, to be alert and to be of sober mind because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. He's looking for someone to devour. He's like, Ty, is it you today? Can I have you today? Pastor Johnny, is it you today? Are you the one that I can go after today? Lisa, is it you today? He's looking for someone to devour. And I don't say that with you to scare you. I say that with you to empower you. To empower you. On Wednesday night, I was leading midweek boost up here in the upper room, and we were doing a sermon discussion about Pastor Brent's message last week. And we were talking specifically about this verse, and I asked them what the definition was of devour, and their definitions were probably some of your definitions. It's what I'm going to do to the wings at Beef O'Brady's as soon as this service is over, right? Come on, Bucks gamer on, go Bucks. We are going to devour some panther for lunch today. I'm speaking it in faith. Please, Jesus. Yeah, we're not talking about that today. Get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, y'all, I'm about to lose control here. Like, we're going to bind all these spirits in Jesus' name with these other teams. But this word devour, I shared with them, literally means three things. It means shrink down, swallow up, and destroy. And as I began to share with them those words, God began to impart to me revelation. And he began to show me how, Tina, those three words were not just individual words, but it was a progressive process that the enemy uses to come after us. You see, if the enemy can shrink us down and make us feel low, then we are more easily able to be swallowed up and devoured by him. But if we will stand tall and stand on the word of God and stand in the knowledge of who we are and say, I will not be shrunk, I am not going down, then, then, then he cannot swallow us up and devour us. All he can do is just come at us with little nibbles, and I've got some thigh bone right here that if he wants it, he can have it, but that's all he's getting. You and I have to figure out 
what makes us feel small, what shrivels us down, what, what, what causes us to be small enough that the enemy can come and come at us. I was talking to somebody this week, and I think it's relevant today. One of the ways that he comes at us is he causes us to compare ourselves with other people. Is that struggle for you? It can be a struggle for me at times. But you got to know this. If you compare and compete, you will live in defeat. The only person I am comparing myself to is to Jesus. And he doesn't push me away and tell me I'm not good enough. He calls me closer, he calls me higher, and he calls me up. That's what he does in your life as well. You and I have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our house. Because when we guard our house, though the enemy will come and he will huff and he will puff, and he will threaten to blow your house down. That's all he'll be. He'll only be hot air, right? But you've got to know this. When you stand and you stand strong, that doesn't mean the fight is over. That doesn't mean that it's won and done in that particular case. Because scripture tells us in verse 44 that when the spirit who can't find rest makes its way back to your house, whom he considers to be his house, and he finds it swept clean, unoccupied, and put in order, then it goes with it and it takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. It takes friends and it comes back and it says, I'm going to bring more people to come about your house. I have friend, a friend right now who has a property in North Carolina. It's a vacation property. They don't live there all the time. And they got a electric bell in the mail that, that was like much higher than it should have been. And so a family member went to go see what was going on in the house. And from the outside, primarily, it looked completely fine. Except for there were like curtains of some sort that weren't there when they left it. And when they went inside the home, they found that the home was completely destroyed. It had been gutted. It had been completely trashed. And over the course of the last week, they've discovered that what started as two individuals using it as a place to camp, set up camp, do drugs, became a place where eight people were making meth, who were distributing meth, who had gutted their home. What happened? They went and they brought friends. They went and they brought friends. I experienced this in my own life. I can take you back to a time where I was in eighth grade, and I had a problem with a ninth grade mean girl. And I had made the fatal mistake of becoming friends with her boyfriend in one of our classes. And girl was out for blood. (laughs) And so she huffed and she puffed for a few weeks, said she was gonna blow my house down. And while I'll leave the details to your imagination, let's just say one day in the PE locker room, I called her bluff. And she left me alone for a few weeks. And I thought, well, that's it right? I've won the battle and that's it. Until one day, a couple weeks later in seventh period, she passed me a note. Remember the notes? And the note said that that day after school, she and her mean girl cronies were going to meet me at the bus stop and they were going to kick my butt. And I'll be honest with you. I thought, you know, I can handle one of them. I might be able to handle two of them. I don't think I can take them all on but I was prepared to do what I needed to do when I got to the bus stop. But as luck would have it, though I typically walked home from from the bus stop, that particular day, my daddy was waiting for me. And I got off the bus and got in the car and began to tell my dad what was transpiring. Now, here's what you have to know. In our family, there were family rules. Does your family have rules? Well, one of the rules in my family is that I was not allowed to start fights, period. Starting a fight was not an option. But if somebody starts a fight, it's my job to finish it. That was the rule of the house. And so I did not expect my father to step in for me. I fully thought this is a fight that I'm going to have to have. And I thought, okay, I got myself over today, but tomorrow's coming. We'll deal with tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. But that afternoon, I was 
probably doing dishes or something in the kitchen, and I saw them coming down the street. Like, I literally saw them coming all down the street, and I thought, good Lord, here we go. And they had the audacity to literally come to our front door and ring the doorbell. (laughs) The devil will do that in your life as well. Do you think he won't ring the doorbell of this church? Do you think he won't mess with your mind while you're sitting right here in service? They had the audacity to come and ring the doorbell. And as I thought, okay, here we go. I'm walking to the door just as about the fact I got to the door. My father got up out of his easy chair. And he said, I'm all about a fair fight, but this ain't fair. He said, you sit down, baby girl, I've got this. And my father opened the door and stepped outside and closed it behind him. Now, I don't know to this day I don't know what my father said to them that day, but I'll tell you what, those girls never even looked at me again. And just because God is good, two weeks later, that mean girl's boyfriend became my boyfriend. How did that happen? How did that happen? And what does that mean to you? There are moments that the demonic is going to come at you. They're going to come back and they're going to be friends. And when they do, you need to make sure that your daddy is the one that's standing up at the door, that you are filled with the spirit of God, that you are saved by the blood of Jesus because your daddy is home. And your daddy is the one that's answering the door. Your daddy is the one that when the devil comes knocking, he says there. But friends, it is not enough to be saved. It is not enough to just receive Jesus as your savior. You need to be filled to overflowing with the presence of the Holy Ghost. You've got to be filled with him. You've got to be practicing regularly the disciplines of God. And you've got to get about the business of God. You've got to be pursuing the purposes of God. See, it's not enough to just go through that initial, initial period of repentance and removal of sin, because unless reformation continues in your life, scripture tells us that the end might be worse than the actual beginning. Jesus tells us here, listen to me. I don't want history to, to repeat itself. And he's speaking to the Jews of the day. And, and he's, I, I just have to feel his heart here. I think he's frustrated. Like, why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you listening to me? He's like, why, why don't you understand that unless you come and you keep coming to be filled, to be cleansed, to be healed, like, unless you come, don't you understand the spiritual condition that's happening inside of you? And we see this play out a little bit earlier in the same chapter. You see, we've been reading from verses 43 to 45, but in verse 22, we see that they had brought him, these same religious leaders had brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and was mute. And the scripture says that Jesus healed him. And he wasn't able to talk and see, but because Jesus delivered him, because he healed him, he could talk and he could see. But that wasn't enough for them. They challenged him. How did you do that? How did that happen? Like, are are you Satan? Like, did Satan drive out Satan? Like, they, they had this whole conversation with him. And then just a few short verses later, they say this crazy thing to him. They say, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, like, like if you want to know what prompted Jesus to call them a wicked, evil, adulterous generation, this was it right here. They had seen Jesus do an abundance of miracles. They, they had watched him raise the dead. They had watched him heal the sick. They had watched him deliver those who were demonically oppressed, and still they wanted more. And while that seems shocking, I just, I have to wonder, are, are we any different? I mean, how many times have we seen God do miracles in our life only to doubt him the next time there's a crisis? Only to wonder if he can handle that electric bill when he already took care of the hospital bill. If he can handle that infection when he already handled cancer. Are we that different? 
this morning I went out to get in my car to come here and I pushed the button to start my car and it like did its best not to start. And everything in me wanted to go, are you kidding me, Jesus? But I knew what I was preaching on this morning. And I'm like, in the name of Jesus, you will start. And that baby fired itself up, and I drove to work, and I praise God for it. I don't know whether it'll get me home or it'll leave me stranded in the parking lot today, but it got me here. How many times, church, have we cried out for deliverance only to, to fall back into the same bondage that we were in before? How many times is our addiction our perversion, our sin pattern, even worse, because we didn't guard our house. We didn't guard our lips. And we didn't guard our heart. How many times are we that much different than the generation that he called wicked? You know, I've heard Pastor Ada say it before, but the enemy is a legalist. And when we open a door to him, a door that he didn't build and he didn't buy, but we open a door to him, he has a legal right to be where he is. Now, let's be crystal clear. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you cannot be possessed. Jesus has taken up residence in your spirit, but you can be oppressed. You can be demonized you can still be influenced by the demonic. And for that reason, your house needs an alarm system. Yeah. And that's point number three if you're taking notes this morning. Your house needs an alarm system. You see, the challenge that most of us face is that even though we have an alarm system that is built in when Jesus moved in, many of us haven't activated it. We haven't activated it. We're not using it. We're not submitted to it. We're not surrendered to it. We're not listening for it. I may have a lock on my front door, but if I accidentally forget on that day to lock that door and an intruder comes in, I have no way of knowing because I don't hear a little beep, beep, beep. But sometimes you and I are hearing the beep, 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 but we're just ignoring it. My office next door is on the second floor. Pastor Brent and I's office, Pastor George's office, we're on the second floor. And there's a spiral staircase that leads up to it. And for the last couple of days, the fire alarm battery has been going bad. It's been telling us it needs to be changed. And it beeps. It more chirps, not really beeps. It chirps. And it chirps. And it chirps. And we've notified them, and we're waiting for you know, them to come and fix it. But I got so used to hearing it that you know what I did? I just turned up the music in my office. I tuned it out. And you and I do the same thing to the Holy Spirit. The alarm system is speaking to us. He's talking to us. But rather than going and investigate, what is he saying? What is he showing me? We just turn up the noise in another area. In the same way, some of us nurture our relationships with church, and that's a beautiful thing. We come to church, we might nurture our relationships on some level with God, but in doing so, what we're doing is, is we're protecting the front door, and we're leaving ourselves vulnerable in other areas. You and I have to learn to listen to him so that we guard our back doors, that we guard our garage, so that we guard the windows of our lives. Several years ago, I wrote a book called Seven Letters, Warnings to the Seven Churches, and it's, a, it's a, a book written about the seven churches in the book of Revelation and how there were parasites looking to find their way into each one of those churches. I almost called the book before the publisher got a hold of it, Backdoor Enemies. Because that's what I feel like the church of Jesus Christ is navigating today. We're guarding our front doors. But many of us have left our, our back doors open to the enemy. So you and I have to take every precaution. 
We have to take every precaution to guard our house. We have to take a good hard look at the vulnerabilities in our lives where the enemy has the ability to come in. And we have to listen when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. You know, this this week I had an opportunity to either listen or not listen to the alarm system that was going off inside of me, listen to the Holy Spirit. I have a daughter who's 24, some of you know her, and it doesn't matter if she's 24 or if she is four, she is mine. And you can mess with me all day long, but you mess with my kid and I'm going to bring out seven layers of crazy. And Friday morning, I was in my quiet time with the Lord, and he said, I want you to come off social media for a couple of days. No posting for a couple of days. And it surprised me, because I wasn't planning on posting, but okay, I won't post. Well, when she got home that particular day, she had had a difficult day with a coworker who wasn't just unkind, who was cruel, who was mean. And it's a complicated situation because there are people involved that um, every part of me wanted to show up and be mom, but this was her job. And mom can't typically show up on the job and just cast demons out of people, although I really, really wanted to. And so I began to think about, okay, okay, how do, I, how do I deal with what's in here? I'm not happy. I don't know what to do with this. What do I deal with what I'm feeling here? And this random thought came to me you should put a meme on Facebook. Now, I can't tell you the last time I put a meme on Facebook. I don't even know what year I put a meme on Facebook last. But I thought, okay, about mamas and protecting their bear, and I thought, oh, well, that would stir up a, a conversation. And my mind began to go to a place, and then the Holy Spirit said, Tina, do you remember? I told you, don't get on social media. And I realized that it was the enemy prompting me. The enemy was literally trying to prompt me to lean in and handle a situation. But because God, my alarm system, was talking to my spirit, I simply wrote a text. And then I deleted it. Y'all got worried there for a minute. And then I wrote an email. And I deleted that too. And then I pulled out my journal. And I began my journal, Heavenly Father, help me. And as I began to say, Heavenly Father, help me, he says, Tina, he said, I want you to get into my word. And I want you to let my word get into you. And I want you to bless those that curse you. And I want you to bless those who persecute you. And I want you to find a way to give them a cold glass of water in my name. And God began to work. Why? Because I listened to the Holy Spirit. Do you listen to the Holy Spirit when he's talking to you? Or do you simply turn up the noise? Because see, some of us, some of us have locked our front door, but we've left our garages open. We haven't dealt with old habits completely. We haven't gone and dealt with familiar Spirits, familiar patterns in our life that aren't serving us well because we really don't think that they're that big of a deal. Our cultural comforts that just seem cultural, we don't challenge. And as a result, we open our lives up to the demonic realm. Some of us, it's not really a garage issue, we have a window issue. We have let the windows of our eyes and the windows of our ears open to influences of the enemy. We don't guard what we watch. We don't guard what we hear. And as a result, there is a spirit of lust or fear or anger or rage stirring up in our souls. And we don't know how it got there. Pastor Brent started last week by talking about criminal minds, and he said, does anybody watch it? And then he said, you probably shouldn't. Well, years ago, before it was the creepiest that it is now, I did enjoy that show, and yet I found that, that I was developing a spirit of fear. Like, I, I thought there was a demon underneath my dining room table, underneath the bush. I was afraid of the dark. And when I went to God and said, God, what is happening? What, what is inside of me? He began to show me that I had opened myself up to a spirit of fear. 
Some of us need to close the windows. And we need to stop some of the things we're watching and some of the things that we're listening to. And for some of you, that's not your issue. Maybe it's simply this. Maybe you haven't done some deep cleaning in a while. Maybe you've guarded your garage, you've guarded your front door, you've guarded your windows. But the reality is, is that you have not done a deep cleaning of your heart. And over time, in the same way that dust gets on the baseboards and the cobwebs get in the corners, a little bit of unforgiveness sleeps in, slips in. And a little bit of pride sneaks in, and, and a little bit of bitterness begins to take root. And maybe you feel like it's not that big of a deal, Pastor Tina. It's really not that big of a deal. I mean, it, it's not like it's like taking over my whole house. No, but maybe it just has a closet in your house. The danger of that is that you and I think we can contain it. But scripture reveals to us throughout God's word that a foothold, if we don't deal with it, will turn into a stronghold. And the thing that you could have dealt with on your own in prayer with God that was a foothold now needs some additional help because it's turned into a stronghold. And it's choking all of the goodness out of your life that God wants you to experience his joy, his peace, his power, his abundance. But I have good news for you today. If you were waiting for this message to get good, here it is. You and I do not have to live in a repetitive cycle of being demonized and then being delivered, of being stuck and then being free, of being in bondage and then being released. We don't have to do that. We can get off this demonic merry-go-round. We can get off of it so that we can walk in the freedom that God has called to give us. And we do this by setting up these alarms inside of our life. It's kind of like the Mission Impossible movie where Tom Cruise unscrews the light bulb and he breaks it and he puts it underneath the mat so that when someone steps on the mat, it would give him an indication inside the house that an enemy was approaching. You and I need to have alarm systems that tell us when an enemy is approaching inside of our lives. And the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit will do this for us because he is our alarm system. He is our, you can clap that in. That's worthy of clapping. God not only saved us, he gave us an alarm system. You see, in addition to being our comforter, in addition to being our helper, he's also our protector. He'll convict us. And he will tell us, girl, guy, walk away. He will say to us, stop talking, shut it down. He will prompt us to turn it off. He'll challenge the beliefs that we're holding on to through the reading and the teaching of his word. He'll put another iron in your life to challenge you, to sharpen you, to encourage you. He'll use the body of Christ and, and the gifts that are activated in the body of Christ to speak directly to you. Church, the Holy Spirit is your alarm system, and the Word of God is its user manual. You and I can live free because together they will teach us how to defend our house. Now, it's been said, given that this is Football Sunday, that the best defense is a good offense. And the original owner, if you will, of that quote is unknown, but it's more often, just so you know, attributed to President George Washington, George Washington than it is Coach Bill Belichick. People don't exactly know where it comes from, but the truth of the matter is, is that the notion of going on an offense is one of the ways that you push back a strong defense, right? And that doesn't just apply to football, it applies to life as well. And when you and I make time and invest in our relationship with God, when we get in the word and we let the word get into us, when we are overflowing by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Brent would say, you and I can feel like we can storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun. 
You want to bring it? Bring it, because I've got it. I've got him living on the inside of me. But it's not just that. We have to authentically open our lives up to other believers, because sometimes they can see things that we can't see. They, they bring us knowledge of a vulnerability. Our safety team brings to our staff knowledge of vulnerabilities in this building so that we can step up and find ways to protect you against an enemy that would try to come and guest us. We have to be able to open our lives up. We, we have to be humble enough to say, I need prayer. I have tried to evict this demon out of my life. It's still there. I need sozo. I need deliverance. I need counts. I need something. We have to openly admit we don't have it all figured out. Yeah. We've got to be real enough to say there's some jacked up stuff going on in here. And I want to be free. And when we in humility confess and renounce and replace, God begins to serve eviction notice. And we begin to fortify weak walls inside of our lives that strengthen us against anything that the enemy would come against us. As we get ready to close, I'll, I'll close with this story. After Japan was defeated by the Allies in World War II, it lost control completely of Korea. Korea had been under Japan's control since 1910, but it was a casualty to them in that war. And for those of you who don't know, Korea is a peninsula. It looks a whole lot like the state of Florida. It's a little bit smaller than the state of Florida, but it looks a lot like the state of Florida. It has some of the same strengths and vulnerabilities as the state of Florida does. It has a, a Ichikon kind of bay there, just like Tampa Bay. And after World War II, because Japan lost control of it, it was really divided into two sections. There was kind of a line that was drawn across the middle. It was called the 38th parallel. And north of that line was owned and operated, if you will, administered by the Soviet Union. And south of that line was administered, if you will, by the United Nations. Well, that was supposed to be temporary. There was a discussion for sovereignty. Who's going to own Korea? But they couldn't come to an agreement. And so there were these two lands, these two dominating forces inhabiting the same land. Now, over time, North Korea became very much a communistic part of that country. And the southern half was democratic. And along the border, there would be these skirmishes, right? These little battles, these, these little huffs and puffs, I'll blow your house down, but nothing significant. And that is until June 25th of 1950, when North Korea upped its game and it crossed the 38th parallel. It sent in troops and it sent in troops directly to the capital city of South Korea that was called Seoul. And it came after the soul of South Korea. Well, it wasn't a few days after that that the UN decided, yep, that's not going to happen. And so they rallied up their troops and we entered into the Korean War. The United States suited up and with other allied nations went to war on behalf of South Korea. And the war was loosely referred to as the liberation of Seoul. It was all about liberating the Seoul, capital city of South Korea. Well, the UN forces came in and they were strong and they pushed back the Korean army, the North Korean army, they pushed them back. They, they moved them back across that 30th parallel. They said, uh-oh, you're not going to live in our land. You're not supposed to be here. But three months later, the North Korean army reorganized their troops. They brought in stronger troops. They brought in more weapons. They, so to speak, came back with seven more wicked spirits, more wicked than them. And over a three-year period of time, there was a battle for the heart of soul. Now, 
over that three-year period of time, at the end of the day, nobody really won. North Korea went back to North Korea, South Korea went back to South Korea, and it remains a body, a land with two owners. I want you to apply this to your life today. There cannot be two heads in your house. There cannot be two powers dominating for your house. You have to draw a line in the sand. And you have to say this far and no further, you cannot have my soul because my spirit has been liberated. And if my spirit has been liberated, my soul comes along with it and you don't get to have it. But here's what you have to know. There is a battle that is going on that will continue going on for your soul. And in the same way that there is a battle for your soul, there is a heavenly word released over you called freedom. But you're going to have to suit up. You're going to have to get in the fight. You're going to have to battle because there are two kingdoms that exist in this world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you are suiting up in the armor. But you gotta be intentional about it. You gotta be intentional about it. You gotta know that if you're gonna get in the game, if you're gonna win, then you gotta get in the fight. Because I said at the beginning, and I'll say it again now, the fight just isn't about you. You're fighting for your marriage. You're fighting for your kids. You're fighting for the next generation. You're fighting for your legacy. The good news, the good news is that when you show up in the fight, Ephesians 6.12 reminds us. It reminds us how to fight. It reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of these dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Your fight is not with your boss. Your fight is not with your husband. Your fight is not with the other political party, whoever they are. Your fight is not with another race. Your fight is not with a pastor. Your fight is not with another person. Your fight is against the enemy of your soul. And when it's time to fight, church, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. We don't show up and fight with the other person. We fight for God. We fight for our family. We fight for our country. We fight for our church. We fight for our nation. We fight for our freedom. It's not about fighting with, it's about fighting for. Jesus had to fight. He fought in the garden of Gethsemane. He fought his flesh. He fought his fear, he fought Satan. And we know he fought because there was blood in the garden. There wasn't just blood on the cross. There was blood in the garden. As he battled and said, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus won the battle in the garden. And he won the battle for you on the cross. And now you and I just have to receive that freedom, suit up, and walk it out. Come on, stand with me as we get ready to close. Maybe today you're in a fight. Maybe today you feel like you're in a fight. And maybe today, if you were being honest, you would say, Pastor Tina, I'm in a fight, and if I'm being honest with you, I'm getting my butt kicked. I am losing this battle. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my faith. Can I tell you, you don't have to battle alone. You don't have to battle alone. You have a God in heaven who has an army waiting at your disposal. He has an army waiting at your disposal. 
I'm going to say it again. He has an army waiting at your disposal. And I'm not just talking about a heavenly army. I'm talking about the people who in just a moment are going to stand right here and agree with you for your healing. In fact, I want you to see them. If you're on the prayer team, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and make your way up. There is an army that's walking forward right now that says, I'm willing to fight with you. I'm willing to stand in the gap with you. I'm willing to begin to proclaim God's word over you as you reject and you replace and you renounce and you repent and you let go of those things that are holding tight onto you. Maybe today you realize you've left some doors open in your life. You've left some windows open, the garage is open. You've got some things that you need to close, some areas where you need to say, God, I hear you. I'm so sorry, I've not been listening. God, I repent, Lord Jesus. Show me how to close those doors. Show me how to close those windows. Show me how to close that garage. Maybe you're here and you know you are nursing. You are nursing some things inside of your soul that have given the enemy entrance into your lives. And maybe today is the day Somebody needs to hear this. Forgiving somebody doesn't let them off the hook. It lets you off the hook. It doesn't excuse what they did. It simply sets you free. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing? If you were moved by this message, we would love to hear your testimony. Please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired. We'll see you next time.